Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Dave Van Horn. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Brown, known as the Bald Guy around the country. Today, we're going to be talking with David Van Horn, who owns and is the founder of PPR Note Company. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm in San Diego, man. It doesn't get much better. Well, today we're going to talk about notes combined with real estate investing. We, I know we've both done this over the years. I've had some real fun time combining the two uh, in transactions to great benefit. And I know that you're writing a book, and if I ever get convinced to write a book, I, I try to take a nap every time somebody asks me if I want to. And, after, and by the way, I know that since you're writing a book, you're already experiencing that it's it's basically you have no life when you're writing a book. Is that right? That is true. You give up your social life till you're done the book. Believe it or not, I started in October, and I anticipate being done the end of May, and we have about a two- to three-month editing period. So it takes a, it takes about a year to do a book, uh, if you're going to do a wow. book or spend some time on it. And that's intense work for a year. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We have to write about 100,000 words. Okay. All right. Well, now, have you ever used notes that you've already owned where you bought them at a discount in concert with real estate investing? Well, my whole life has been notes and using the bank to build my wealth, which was through real estate. So it actually started with unsecured notes by using credit cards to buy houses. And then I bought a whole portfolio of houses. I would use a credit card, write myself a check, and then buy a house with a credit card and fix it up with another credit card and move a tenant in, refinance the house, pay the credit cards back. And I got up to, eventually I got up to like 40 places. And and then I started using the bank again. And I went out and got HELOCs, home equity lines of credit against the houses. And then I would go do more real estate deals with the HELOCs. And then I actually started being a private lender. And I would lend money to my bird dog, which is a wholesaler. So I would either give him permanent financing or I'd give him rehab money or I'd lend him the money till he flipped the property and, you know, charge like a, almost like transactional funding. So I've done all those combinations. And then on top of that, um, I used a lot of notes in my real estate transactions to facilitate my deals. So I would sell a lot of properties to investors and I would offer uh, like no money down deals. So I would carry a seller second and structure it in such a way with a seller assist and a seller second that the investor could walk in, grab the keys, walk out with no cash out of pocket, still cash flow, and make an infinite rate of return. I guess I I have one property that I'm actually using a case study in my book where I bought the property with private money instead of using hard money. It's cheaper. And instead of going to a bank. So I used private money to acquire it. And then I actually, instead of selling it, because I was done the project in less than a year, I would have gotten clobbered in uh, capital gains because I had about $125,000 profit on the house. So I sold the property wow. to a principal of a school in a lease option. He exercised the option, and then I carried a second. And to this day, I still cash flow off that property. And I knocked my tax bill down in half by selling it. It was after a year and a day that I sold it. It was a couple of years Right. The lease option. So I got out of the maintenance business, got a large deposit, got higher than market rent, and then held a second when we, he finally did exercise the option. And then I've done a lot of subject to stuff, too, with notes where I've taken 
either properties that are subject to, or we do a lot of foreclosure work because we're in the note business. So if you think about my whole life, Jeff, I started out with using the bank's money to acquire a property, using the bank's money to tap into the equity of my properties. My properties jumped up literally a couple million in value just from, you know, pay down and the market. I've been doing this 30 years, right? So a bunch of equity hit my portfolio. And then at one point I had 11 lines of credit and I accessed all the equity. So I'm using the bank's money to acquire, using the bank's money to tap the equity. And then today, look what I do. I use private equity to go to the bank and buy their distressed assets at a discount. So I've been basically spend my whole life beating the bank and navigating around the bank and beating the bank at their own game. And, um, you know, somebody said that to me, they're like, how did you get into it? And for some of the parts, I didn't realize what I was doing. I was just doing it. But I looked back to, you know, I went to college at first to be an accountant and have a degree in management. And then later, one of my favorite classes was money and banking. And it was my favorite teacher. And I didn't even know what the course was yet. I just signed up because I liked the guy. <laughs> and years later, when I look back, I'm like, I realized that I learned so much about money and banking from my favorite teacher. And I didn't, I didn't put it all together back then, you know. And then later on, as banking concepts would hit, you know, about lending and this, and you know, just the fact that you can use notes to beat the bank at their own game. Like we have strategies where, you know, we'll pay a 30-year mortgage off in 12 years, you know, with the same cash flow, with the same flow of money by just repositioning our our flow of money in our life, you know. So there's a lot of yep. things you can do to really. You know, whether it's the tax debt or to go after property. I mean, think about it. I built my whole portfolio and my whole business with other people's money or the bank's money. And today I make a lot of money off the bank. Basically, their inefficiency is my opportunity kind of thing. I would make two observations. Number one, to listeners, in the TV that is your mind right now, please see the disclaimer, do not try this at home with the credit cards. Oh, Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because here's why. You know, even the young folks in my office still hear me tell that story. But it was a different time and place. And the credit cards were completely different than they are today. Today, that would whack out your debt-to-income ratio and the fees would be exorbitant. But when they first came out with credit card checks and all, it was just a new thing. And the bank didn't know – they didn't know what they were doing. They, it was like free money to us. It was, it was hysterical because there was almost no fees. So we were having a field day. And then the banks got smart and said, well, wait a minute. And then you see today there's all kinds of limits on cash advances. Well, in the old days, they didn't have that. So to your right. point, Jeff, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not a strategy for today. So you, right. I'm, glad, I'm glad you did say that. Um, but really, it's just the theory. It's the idea of using someone else's money to get to what your goals are, right? And uh, And then the other strategy that I've done along the way – so. Two other things that helped me really build my wealth over the years. One was taxes. You have nobody, you've never seen anybody so anal about trying to reduce their tax bill. I am, I'm the guy. I pay the least amount of taxes, and I do every strategy under the sun to do that. And because if you, could, if you had the money that you paid in taxes as a nest egg to invest, you know, it's exponential, especially when you factor in the compound effect of that, right? And then the other piece of that was I use my investments to pay my liabilities. So whether that's, you know, I buy a note to pay my car payment, I buy a, a note, you know, if my wife wants a Mercedes, Jeff, 
I'm going, well, how, what investment's going to pay that payment? You know, I'm going to go out and buy exactly. a rental property. I'm going to go exactly. do something like that. I never reach in my pocket to buy, pay for anything. It could be a life insurance policy. I'm going to borrow out of the policy, buy a note, and the note will pay the policy back and the premium. You know, I'm always in that, in that mode. So I don't really pay any, uh, I don't pay for any debts. Either my tenants are buying me my portfolio. You know, it's always like that. My tenants bought me my vacation home, that type of mentality. Well, and I want I want listeners to really pay attention to this. What Dave is saying in a nutshell is he incorporates the principle of synergy like a wild man. The second thing you want to notice is that he talked about taxes. A lot of these things, when you bring in a tax professional, they can really fine-tune you because they actually fill in the blanks to the wonderful principle I was taught by my uh, – mentors, which was they will answer questions that maybe you wouldn't have known to ask in a million years because you can't get the answers to questions you don't know to ask. And so what Dave brought to the party when he was doing all this, and he still brings it to the party just in tonnage because of his experience, is absolute accurate knowledge. It's one thing to say I use other people's money. It's another thing to have completely superior knowledge. And that's what Dave and I bring to the table when we do these things. We know what we're doing. One of the strategies that I bring up all the time is taking advantage of notes that I've owned in the past, using them to acquire real estate. One of those strategies was I would take a note, I would hypothecate it, which means just I would just borrow against its value. And the payments to the guy would be made by the payments I was receiving. So, like you say, it was somebody else making those payments for me. I would then use that money to buy another note at a, at a big discount, usually a second or third position note, by the way, in San Diego. I would take that note and get dollar-for-dollar dollar value in somewhat of a down buyer's market to buy something that needed fixing up. So you can see how you can... You can leverage your position without going out on the cliff hanging by your, your fingernails. You don't have to do that. You can just do it wisely, but using synergy. And when I borrowed the money from that note, that is a uh, not even a taxable event. It's just like borrowing money from real estate that you own. If you get cash out, the vast majority of the time, when I say that, I mean like way over 90% of the time, that's a tax-free event. It's not even taxable at all. So can you think of anything you've done where you've taken a note to actually acquire real estate with it? Well, it's um, we, we call it, instead of a hypothecation, it's the same thing. We call it a collateral assignment of note and mortgage. You know, you're just using a performing note. It's, it's similar to a car loan, really, if you think about it. Like, a, you know, the car is collateral for the car loan. Well, this is your performing mortgage is collateral for your loan to a private investor. So you have a promissory note and you have this collateral assignment and note mortgage document where we do a recording in the county courthouse where the property is located behind the note, right? And we literally, whether you borrow the money to do another investment, in our world, we borrowed the money to go buy more notes because we were in the note business. Uh, it, but it doesn't mean you can't 
you know, I have a portfolio of notes. I could borrow against them and go, you know, buy a piece of real estate or go do something else. So it, it doesn't it really doesn't matter what you do with the money once you recapitalize. We call it recapitalization once you recapitalize. But you're right. It's a tax-free way to recapitalize because it's a loan. And we literally built PPR that way. And we did hundreds of these to the tunes of millions of dollars because in the beginning, I mean, think about it. We started in a junior lien space. And there were no buyers for reperforming once delinquent, upside down, second mortgages in bankruptcy. Right. You right. Who knew, right? So who would know that people wouldn't, didn't want to buy that? But but what we found was we had investors, and we had investors that would uh, you know lend us money, and we would we would take care of the notes and manage the notes, and then pay them. So we did a lot of this to build the company until we did have note buyers. And the cool part about that was we were able to build our startup business with tax-free money. And we, like right. I said, we did hundreds of these. So it was a great way and a safe way for us to do that. And we, there were times where we would even cash flow. I had a note in um, Newark, Delaware, where the payment to my investor was like 500 a month, but we used to get like six and a quarter from, from the borrower, right? So what was cool about that was here I am, I got all my capital back, went back to market to buy more assets, and I'm still cash flowing, and I still own it. And the cool part is in those docs, we used to put a, a substitution of note clause. So even if that borrower or that homeowner decided to sell or refinance, I was allowed to substitute a note of equal or like value to my investor. So if my investor lent me money for, I don't know, three years or five years, whatever that was, I was able to um, continue to use his capital to go back to market. And that and that's what our business model was. It was to keep turning, keep turning the money, keep turning the assets, keep turning the money, keep turning the assets. And, and that's how we make our money off uh, the use of all the private capital we get, you know. Right. One of the last things I want to talk about is using the strategy, a very simple strategy, of buying a note at a heavy discount that is non-performing, then getting title to the property. You fix that property up. You refinance it for cash out, usually 70, 75% loan to value maximum, and you're able to rinse and repeat. Have you ever done that yourself, or do you just stick to the notes so much that that's really not appealing to you? Well, I, our company does. I personally, I, I'm a, how do I say it? You know, like the shoemaker kid needs shoes, like, so most of <laughs> Most, yeah, of, the notes, yep, most yep. of the notes I buy personally, I'll be straight up with you. I only buy performing notes. I don't really – the last thing I want to do is buy non-performing notes, take them home, and go work on them after working all day. I, I'm like – I'm not a sucker for punishment or anything. But, no, my company does, and they do all of the above. And especially in first mortgages, a big – very large percentage of first are, are vacant. So you do end up with the properties. And there there is a strategy where, you know, you foreclose, and now it's time to – you know, you can either sell it as is, you can fix and flip, you can fix and rent, and you can fix and hold a mortgage. And we kind of have a formula that these guys use in our REO department where they'll, they'll – it's like a decision tree. And um, it, it depends on the assets. Some assets, you know, they're knocking it out of the park on. They're making crazy money. Some assets are – it could be a case where they're just trying to limit exposure or limit a loss. So it's, it's almost like, you know, the bank has a loss mitigation department. Well, so do we in some ways, but it's it's not the biggest percentage though, right? So most of the time you're making money on the bulk of your assets, but occasionally you'll have an asset where you know you sold it for less than you paid for it. That that happens as well. It's not 
always appealing, but you're trying to recoup. So I'll give you an example. Even on the low-end junk, I mean, we're not infallible or anything, right? We we might have an asset where, oh, we're going to lose money, but sometimes it's a case where, hey, if we throw five grand in there, we don't lose as much, or we or we actually break even, or we make a little bit. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of those types of cases, especially in low-balance first mortgages. Now, as you get up into higher-value ones, that happens less and less, and most of the time, if they're vacant, you're you're doing well with them. You know what I mean? So it's it's all relative, but so some of it is yes, you're going to make a ton of money on them, and then some of them it's designed to limit your risk or limit your loss or whatever. So but then there's a time for money equation built in there too, Jeff. It's like what business do we want to be in? Do we want to be the long term rental landlord in all 50 states? And the answer is no, not really. <laughs> Yeah. We pick our battles, and there's certain you know geographic areas where we have uh, real robust troops on the ground type scenarios, and in, in a lot of those areas, we do really well. And then um, in some of those states, we purposely build out boots, troops on the ground and boots on the ground because we know we're going to see a lot of volume of product in those states, and then we specialize in those, you know, those handful of states sometimes. So we do buy all over the country, but it depends on what type of assets, and then some states we do focus heavily on, like right now, you'll see a lot more product in certain states than others, you know. Well, I'll make one final uh, uh, observation about uh, something I've done on my end with notes and real estate, Dave, and I'd love to hear your comment. When things start to turn a little towards the buyer in the real estate market, I've taken product that I've bought at a good discount, whatever the position, or maybe put a group of notes that I've bought at discount and gone to sellers with free and clear property that are having trouble selling at a decent price. And because I'm in a lot of times for maybe 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar at most, uh, I might have a package of $150,000 in in balance owed that I have $100,000 in. And yet I go buy a home that's on the market for 150, it can't sell, and I can give them that 150,000 bag of notes. They love it because they're making a pretty good interest rate that they wouldn't have been able to carry back at usually above market. And I get the house. Everybody walks away happy, and it was a transaction that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. No, I mean that's actually that's like a, a note exchanger model. It, it's uh... Yep. It, actually, that's a pretty, you know, I don't say it's a popular strategy because a lot of note strategies aren't that popular to begin with. But for those in the space, um, especially the seller finance space, that's a common strategy is the note exchangers where they'll take a, a poor, like you said, a note or two or, and they'll trade them. They can trade a note for a boat. They'll trade a note for whatever they feel like exchanging. And, and a lot of times it is for another real estate deal. So if somebody's like, you know, a senior citizen and they want to get out of their condo, they might want cash flow. Well, hey, I'll give you these couple of notes. I'll take over your condo. And you're able to take over the condo at a fraction of the money because you got these non-performing notes that you got performing. And now you're trading that for, a, a, you know, you're trading that cash flow and you're you're doing like a reverse note back to them kind of thing. And, and they're looking at payment of cash flow and you're looking at, well, I got cash flow because you know, I made this thing happen and I got it at such a discount. So now you end up getting this, you know, $150,000 condo for, you know, 80 grand or something. And um, 
there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> it's really just knowing what the seller's uh, hot buttons are, right? Are they, you know, what are they doing with their proceeds when they leave? And then if you can solve their problem, you know, it denotes just one more tool that you could use to do that. And uh, yep, absolutely. Same way selling a partial too. They people sell partials if they need money sometimes. Yep, and I'm glad you mentioned buying boats and cars. I actually bought a '55 um, Ford pickup with a note once. <laughs> to this day, it's still one of my two favorite vehicles I've ever owned. <laughs> That's funny. What's that? Listen, the note or the pickup? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. I got you. I got you. <laughs> well, my wife hated the pickup, but I loved it. Um, well, listen, thanks, thanks for everything, Dave. This has been really sure. informative. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Dave Van Horn. 